why don't you pull out your Bible and open up to Ephesians chapter 6, and uh, we are going to keep going in Ephesians here. The word virtue is something that's a little bit uh, maybe archaic. It's, it's not in our everyday language that we think about a whole bunch, um, but virtue is something that uh, is prominent in every person's life in some way, shape, or form, whether they know it or not. And where they get those virtues um, can vary. It can come from different places. You think about every law that's been established and the way that people vote. Uh, a lot of times there's a, uh, an accusation leveled against Christians. We don't want to have your convictions turn into our laws. That's something that's been said to me before. And the reality is, is that other people's convictions turn into laws as well. Everyone's got convictions. That's why they vote that way. That's why they're passionate that way. If you look at kind of Western civilization, uh, remember this. This was the part of class I was awake for in early college. Uh, but Western civ was not necessarily my favorite. Um, but temperance, prudence, fortitude, and justice. Just to say those makes it sound like you're well-read. So once in a while, just throw those four out uh, and ask someone, do you get your virtue um, values from, from traditional Western civilization? They go, what? And you throw out these four words, they'll be like, wow, you're up on things. Um, as a Christian, uh, we, we don't look to just say, what does Western civilization kind of come along and, and tell us as a virtue? We look to the Bible, and, and God has defined for us uh, what those are. And if I could just put it in a really simple word, uh, virtue is moral excellence. So virtue is moral excellence. The opposite of that are vices, right? Things that, uh, things that have a grip on us that we don't necessarily want to do. I put it in your notes this morning so you won't have to turn there since I already asked you to turn to Ephesians 6. But look at 2 Peter chapter 1 in your notes for a minute. 2 Peter chapter 1 says this, His divine power. You're going to see some parallels this morning from, 1 Peter, or from 2 Peter, and this is why I'm starting here, in, and also in Ephesians chapter 6. You're going to make some ties that I'm not going to put together for you. They're just there. But his divine power has granted to us all things that pertain to life and godliness. Huge statement right there. That his divine power has given to us all things pertaining to life and godliness. That means when the enemy comes along and lies to you and say, what you need is a better translation of the Bible, what you need is, is more godly friends, what you need is, is a, a church that functions this way or that way, what you need is to develop this discipline in your life. It says that to the Christian, his divine power has given us everything we need for life and godliness. Looking at verse 5, it says, for this very reason, make every effort. Do you see the tension in that? Do you see kind of the paradox in that? He's given us everything for life and godliness. You read the Bible out of context, you could build a cult that's like Club Med. We just hang out all the time. You know, bring me another iced latte, I'm good. He's given me everything I need. But then a few verses later it says, therefore, for this very reason, make every effort. If you build a theology around make every effort, what you do is you turn into a religion of works, right? We need to be godly. We need to obtain life, so we must do it all. And those are two giant errors that, that, we, that we can all go on if we're not careful. Therefore, for this reason, make every effort to supplement your faith with virtue. There's our word. And virtue with knowledge, and knowledge with self-control, and self-control with steadfastness, and steadfastness 
with godliness, and godliness with brotherly affection, and brotherly affection with love. Catch this last sentence in verse 8. For if, conditional clause, if these qualities are yours and are increasing, they keep you from being ineffective or unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. Church, it's possible to have the knowledge of the Lord Jesus Christ and be ineffective, unuseful. And what it's saying is, if you possess these, if you add to your faith, he doesn't even say that you should add faith on it. He presupposes that. Without faith, it's impossible to please God. We walk by faith, not by sight. So take that and then build on these things. But kind of like some of us have gone down to Mexico and built a house, all the components are right there. The plans are laid out for it. Now make every effort to put it together and build it and work it out with fear and with trembling. We're going to get back to ineffective and unfruitful shortly. But let me just bring up why I'm talking about virtue for a moment. Here's what's interesting. For a Christian, we get to look and say, I didn't make up the virtues that I hold dear to my life. I don't don't make up what moral excellence looks like. I found them. I discovered them. Really, they were revealed to me in the Bible. We have a society, and I think think you'd agree, maybe not, but I'm going to throw it out there, where outspokenness is a virtue. The rule of the day is this. Speak up and speak often. People are applauded, young people and old people alike, are applauded in our culture for not withholding your opinion, your perspective, your comment, ever. Almost everything I read on the internet now has a comment section where you can comment on it. I'm like, look, I'm just shopping for, you know, toothpaste or something, and I don't want to comment on this, I'm just trying to buy something here. But, but that's the whole idea. Everyone gets to weigh in with their perspective, and it's applauded. Now... The Bible says something different. The Bible doesn't say, don't speak up. Instead, it says, speak wisely. And there's all kinds of scriptures. I'm not going to go into it a whole bunch. We have several in Ephesians. Ephesians 4.15 says, speak the truth in love. Ephesians 4.29, let no corrupting talk come out of your mouth, but only that which builds up that fits the need of the moment, that it may give grace to those who hear it. James talks about taming the tongue. And Proverbs 10.19, when words are many, sin is not absent. But he who holds his tongue is wise. We're talking about speaking out this morning and the tongue this morning because it fits in with where our text is going. God has commanded you, brother and sister in Christ, to speak. Remember, we've been looking at the, the, the full armor of God. We can tell where the enemy is going to attack. We don't have to be unaware of the enemy's schemes based on what he's given us. If he's given you a breastplate of righteousness, put it on. That's where he's going to attack. If he's given you a belt of truth, it's because he's going to attack you with lies. If God has given you a voice and commanded you to speak, it's so that you will use it and speak up. And that's where we're going this morning. Here's what's interesting. Media tends to extend the reach of our voice. So as we look at a passage like Ephesians 4.29, where it says, um, you know, don't let any corrupting mouth, uh, things come out of your mouth, but only what builds up. As we look at Ephesians 4.15, which says, speak the truth in love, I would add to that this. Tweet in love, text in love, blog in love, email in love, and podcast truthfully in love. 
and whatever else is going to come around the corner tomorrow, okay? Those are all our voice. And so it can, it can now extend to your thumbs. You know, he who holds his thumb is wise. Maybe it would be a more modern rendition. Because, because guess what? We're, we're, in this, we're in this stream now where that extends our voice out into other places. And so we need to be cognizant of that. Next week, we're going to wrap up this whole book of, of, of Ephesians. And it's just been so powerful. It's been so awesome to hear from the community from the front in formal settings like Sunday mornings, but also just in informal things over a cup of coffee and other things, what the Lord has been doing in, in Ephesians with us. And, and it's been doing it in, in my life as well. Uh, we heard from the band this morning, and we'll continue to hear, all those passages read are all from Ephesians. And they just, they just kind of walked us through our set list this morning. Uh, amazing things to be able to sing out the scriptures back to the Lord who wrote them. Before we do that next week, today we're going to tie up this little three-week excursion that we took into the good fight. And we're going to look at uh, the weapons of the Spirit. As kind of a way of review, the first week in this was that life is a battleground and not a playground. Remember, we're not lacing up skates to go for a little Sunday skate around the pond and be shocked that someone's going to pop us one. Followed up with that, we, we realized that we were given all that we need for the good fight. Maybe you've been fighting this week, but you realize, you know what? It's not been the good fight. We quarrel for a lot of reasons. We fight for a lot of reasons. I pray, I hope that we're engaged in the good fight. And the good fight is a whole different realm, a whole different ball game. We talked a couple weeks ago about being well-dressed and well-informed. And today, we're talking about the sword of the Spirit. And as the armor of God, uh, it really extends beyond that, praying at all times in the Spirit. Follow along with me, if you will, in Ephesians chapter 6. And uh, really, this, this sentence starts in verse 10. But I'm going to pick him up midstream in verse 14. Stand, therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness and as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace. In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God, praying at all times in the Spirit, with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication for all the saints, and also for me, that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains, that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. Let's pray. Father, thank you for being with us. You'll never leave us and you'll never forsake us. But Father, we come expectantly as your children in a unique way when your children gather for a family gathering to hear from you. And so God, I pray for hearts and minds and wills that have shown up arrived today expecting to be changed, expecting to hear a word from you, and we thank you for that. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Keep watching and praying. These are words Jesus uttered in a garden, and he knew there was some attack coming, and he was praying and sweating drops of blood. He comes back to find disciples sleeping and gives the uh, famous line that, The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. 
And we kind of know where that story ends up. As we look at the sword of the Spirit, my two boys have been dying for this part of the passage to come. He's like, enough with all the defensive stuff. Let's get to the sword part. There is something about hand-to-hand combat that just excites people. And the way I know this is very expensive movie tickets are on sale right now that you can go purchase. And they will show you, even though there's much more advanced things, there's something about tight-in-action shots, whether you're Thor or a pirate or battling an orc as a little hobbit or something. There's something about swordplay and just being in there and the hand-to-hand struggle of all of that that kind of excites the spirit. And it kind of, it kind of awakens something in us. Here's the question. How does that fit in with a follower of Christ? And individuals and churches and whole movements have gotten this completely wrong. Let's go back to the garden for a moment. Peter got this wrong, didn't he? He pulls out a sword. Hi-ya! You know, if he was a better hit, he would have nailed Malchus and knocked his head off, probably. Instead, he kind of missed and got his ear, probably because he was a fisherman and used to holding nets and those kind of things and not, not a sword, right? But he got it wrong. He came and, and he had been asleep. Get this. This is what happens when we're asleep. We wake up. What do we do? We're responding in the flesh. We're not in tune with where Jesus has been. We haven't been praying in the Spirit. We're not walking in the Spirit. And so we go by instinct, and oftentimes we're cutting off ears. Jesus has to come, pick up the bloody mess, and heal and restore what we've destroyed. As a disciple, as one of his closest disciples, as the one that Jesus said, we're going we're gonna to build our church on this guy, on, this, on these disciples, on the word handed to him. How about the Crusades? The Crusades got this wrong. Now, much of the Crusades is, is misinterpreted for people, and I encourage you to go read into some of that. But the Crusades, part of where the Crusades led to was this. Somehow we can come in and enforce spiritual change. We just sang a song from the inside out. That would have been a great worship song for the Crusaders. If they had just sung that, listened to the Spirit, it would have just saved a lot of time, effort, and bloodshed, right? Because what they said was, we're going to come in and we're going to enforce good on you. Parents have tried to do that to their kids. We want to, we want to enforce what we know is best for them. But that's not the way God set it up. And so... The Crusades were a failure in that sense. Here's what they missed. Our battle is not against flesh and blood. And that's right here in Ephesians chapter 6. I want to give you a couple of opening comments about the sword, and that is uh, this. The machaira, which is the word that he uses for sword here, um, is, a, is a sword that was common for all the Roman foot soldiers, and they would have it in their belt of truth. Remember the belt of truth, how that tucks the breastplate of righteousness in? That's where the sheath is. It's always with them. That's probably the sword that Peter whipped out and, and used on, on Malchus. Those would range anywhere from 6 inches to 18 inches, from a dagger to a small kind of sword. It's the principal weapon used in hand-to-hand combat, and it was always ready for use. But it's the sword of the Spirit. And that's where we need to set this up and say, listen, the sword that we're talking about is not physical or forged by human hands. In fact, it is the perfect, supernatural, divinely given weapon for the spiritual battle that we're in. So as we look at the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, that's where we're going with it. How is the Word of God to be used, which is the sword of the Spirit? I've got a few fill-ins for you this morning if you're tracking with us. First of all is to use it skillfully. 
Use it skillfully. 2 Timothy 2.15. Do your best. There's our effort cooperating with God again. We pray most Sundays, like we prayed this morning. God, we have fingers, we have mouths, we have your word. But apart from you, we can do nothing. It's all just for naught if we just come out and try to do this in the flesh. I've done ministry in the flesh, and the Lord disciplines me. He spanks me for it every single time. And there are other times where you just say, here it is, here's our offering to you, Lord. Use it skillfully. Do your best to present to God, your, yourself to God as one approved, a worker who has no need to be ashamed, rightly handling the word of truth. Implying, obviously, there's a wrong way to handle the word of truth. There are testimonies sitting in this room of people who've, who've sat under, essentially, spiritual abuse in the same way that physical, emotional, or sexual abuse is demonic and death-inducing, so it is with mishandling God's word. And so it's a a serious charge. Paul's use of the word word matches kind of his sword. And let me explain that for a second. Instead of using the word logos or logos, um, which is more general statements, uh, he uses a different word here where he says rima. And that's individual words or particular statements. Get the picture here. Instead of using a broadsword type thing, and these are giant swords that, that could, you know, uh, would be very hard for many of us to swing even. They're just giant swords. That's kind of general principle. Instead, he goes after more precise, more specific kinds of things with this word rima. Let me give an illustration of this. Sometimes there are people that um, I've been on ministry trips with, I've been around, whatever, and I've perceived in my spirit as we're walking through that this person just has kind of a pre-programmed way of addressing people about spiritual matters. And I may not be the most sensitive guy, but God has given me a spirit of discernment in a situation where we can be there, and I'm just praying, and we're going to talk more about this and see this illustrated, but sometimes you're there with someone, and someone's there on a mission trip. What do you want to do on a mission trip? We want to share the love of Jesus. How does that look? It means I barf out a whole little set of things that I just say. So here we are dialoguing with someone, and along comes a person, and they just, it's basically a broadsword. They start beating the person over the head with, with their Bible, metaphorically speaking. And they're just giving these spiritual truths. God loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life, and just launches into this whole big deal. Meanwhile, I'm wanting to tackle the person and say, that, that's not what's needed right in this moment. And if you watch a person like this, and maybe this has been you, and I pray that God would, would grow all of us up, right? But if you do that and you go take it to the next situation, the next situation, and you say, well, they're not rejecting uh, me, they're rejecting God. Well, maybe what it is, though, is you're not rightly handling the word of truth in that situation. Let me show you a different picture. Remember Paul in, in uh, the book of Acts, verses, uh, chapter 17. He's on Mars Hill. And at Mars Hill, he goes to the, uh, the uh, Areopagus, is that how you say it? He's, uh, it's, it's basically this area where, imagine this, people come and gather, all these philosophers come, and they're going to discuss all the latest ideas, and they're going to come and dialogue about things, and they're going to uh, you know, go back and forth and, 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 and go, and go with, with all this dialogue. Paul comes along, and what he does is this, for the sake of his hearers, and under movement of the Holy Spirit, he keeps his mouth shut for a little bit, and he walks among the area. 
And it's so beautiful to read this sermon as he opens his mouth. Now, is Paul not bold? No, he's one of the most bold people in all of Scripture. Does Paul not have things to say? No, Paul's a talker. He knows how to talk. But instead, he's, he's moving in the Spirit, and then he comes along and he says something fascinating. Here's how he starts addressing these men. Men of Athens, I perceive that in every way you are very religious. And they're going, yeah, we are. Tell us more. And he's got them. He's given a little hook, and he's just going to start reading it. You know what he does? I mean, just read it for yourself in Acts 17. It's beautiful. What he does, he just goes along and he, he points. Remember this unknown God. You have a statue one to an unknown God. Guess what? He's not unknown. <laughs> he's, he's come in the flesh. I'm here to tell you about him. Now, if he just walked right into that and blurted out kind of a canned, preconditioned message, he may have gotten stoned, which he's not afraid of, and he's been stoned before for things. But this fit the need of the moment. This gave grace to its hearers. This was the right use, and this was the specific words that were needed. That's a picture of rightly handling the word of truth. Here's my challenge for us as followers of Christ. Don't settle for just secondhand truths. Sometimes I'm tempted to hear something and use it on someone. I hear someone, I see it in a situation, I go, wow, that was really powerful. I watch someone else share Christ, and I want to go, and I just want to grab that and and use it. Or we hear something in church, or we read something in a book, and it's a general truth, and it really ministered to us in that moment. Don't just be so quick to say, I want to hurry up and get that out and, and, and use that one myself. That's a good one. That really ministered to me. Rather, there's great power, and I began to learn this at the age of 17. Even though my parents tried to get me to read the Bible before that, there was no hunger for it. So I would start off, I would read a little bit, and it would fizzle every single time. At the age of 17, no one could have stopped me from reading God's Word. It just it was a changed thing. All of a sudden, I was hungry to read God's Word. Now, I committed for, for, the, for the first year that I, had been, that I got baptized and all that. I, it was, I just said, Lord, for a whole year, I'm just going to read your Word every day. So I've never done that in my life, and I'm just going to do that. And what began to happen was, for the very first time, rather than my youth pastor taking truth, digesting it like a mama bird, and spitting out that little substance into my mouth, and me getting some of the nutrients from it, instead I began to eat from, from God's Word myself. And many of you have just tasted the exact same experience. It, there's nothing like it. It's still great to be fed by my youth pastor at the time. It was still great to hear messages proclaimed. I still receive truth from a lot of different people. I still do. But there's nothing like being fed firsthand from God. And you just, and you just receive it yourself. That's what I would say. Don't settle for secondhand pre-digested food. Eat for yourself. Strive for living truth that's firsthand. Pray for that. Seek after that. How do you do that? Here's one of the ways. We can't program this. And we're not, uh, we're, we're humble enough to say this. We cannot program this into you. I'm glad my parents didn't try to just program it in. They were like Jesus. They gently knocked and asked and sawed and said, hey, how about now is another time to try and pick up the Bible? Let's read here. 
But they knew that, that when the Spirit of God came, it was just going to ignite. And, and that's the same thing that, that we do as a church. We haven't tried to program it, but here's how, here's how we've put some structure to it to hopefully equip you. We have something called community groups. These are groups of people that meet in the midweek. We're not trying to be fancy and cutting edge. This is as old as dirt, right? Community groups are not new. They're not radical. But what they do is they provide you an opportunity to open the Word right in front of your lap, take what we've gone through in Ephesians here, and begin to dialogue it and digest it and talk about it. I pray that as you go into a community group, I pray that you are prepped for that. Most every week you have your handout with you, and that has the questions that you're going over if you're following the sermon series. Some people go through premarital counseling and they try to go through it just to check it off and say, I've done it, the church wanted me to do it, there, there we go. I challenge couples at the start. You probably can fool me and Becky somewhat, you know, because we're only going to see you every couple of weeks. Don't do that with premarital counseling. Don't do that with your time at community groups. Make use of it. Some of you are involved in some pretty in-depth Bible studies. This is so that you can learn to use skillfully the Word of God. Some of you are on the cusp or should be researching and reviewing some online training. William Jessup University is a school I happen to be close to. I know there's some locations here. Western Seminary. There are classes that you can take. You don't have to say, I'm ready to take, uh, I think God's calling me from this vocation to go be full-time ministry, to go and get a one-year Bible certificate. And just say, I just want to start to learn more in depth how to interpret God's Word. We're going to be doing something this summer, starting in June, the very end of June. um, And we're calling it the Summer Theologians Series. And what it is is this. A lot of community groups shut down for the summer. And, uh, and so instead of just gathering for a potluck once a month, which is fantastic, those who are around and those who can be here for six weeks, we're going to come and gather at the church on a Wednesday night. We're all going to meet together for just a couple of minutes of, of, uh, of worship and all of that. And then we're going to branch out into a few different electives that we're going to take six weeks and go more in-depth into something that we can't usually cover on a Sunday morning. So on Sunday morning, we get to go through the book of Ephesians, but it takes us weeks and weeks, and uh, really, we're only kind of skimming the surface. We're going to take six weeks and really dive into a topic, and we're super pumped about that. That's an area for you to grow in and say, I want to add to my faith knowledge. Well, this is one of those ways to do it. I don't know that I know how to skillfully handle. We're going to go, essentially, practice swordplay this summer. It's going to be a blast. Um... Let me say this, Ephesians, I mean, Hebrews 4.12, I think I put it in your notes, if not, listen carefully. For the word of God, oh, it's on the screen, there you go. For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing to the division of soul and of spirit, of joints and of marrow, and discerning the thoughts and intentions of the heart. I hope you have testimonies where you've seen that be true in your own life, and you've seen it be true in the lives of others. Part of why we read a lot of scripture on a Sunday morning here, is we know there's tremendous power in just the spoken word of God. And God is not very interested in me communicating to you all of my personality and all about me, but all about him. And he's already revealed it in his word, so we talk a lot and read a lot of God's word. What's the opposite of living and active? Right? That's not where you want to go. That's not what the Word of God is. And yet, isn't it possible for the Word of God to become the opposite of living and active? Just sitting on a shelf, dusty. I pulled my Bible out once every other week when I went to church as a kid. Periodically, I'd feel really guilty about that. I knew I should be doing more. Blow off some dust, open it up, try to, try to read. 
We sing a song, sometimes we sing it last week, called Be Near, and in there is a line that says, to know much more than a page, to feel your embrace. And my prayer for you is that our relationship with God moves from just knowing a page, just knowing words, just reading ink and translating those into thoughts, but rather that we have a real relationship. If you are more careful to not run with scissors than to rightly handle God's word, which can be a sword, you may be a giant hazard to the kingdom work. And if you've never thought about it, if you've never thought about how you use or potentially misuse the word of God, chew on this. We went here a couple of weeks ago. When Satan came to tempt Jesus in the wilderness, what did he use? The Bible, the words of God. He mishandled the word of God and threw it at Jesus. Peter in the garden is another, uh, just to go back there one more time, it's a beautiful kind of physical metaphor of, of something that can go on spiritually. So here's Peter waking up reactionary, throwing out verses, so to speak, and just flinging wildly with a sword. Jesus has to come and undo what he's done. There are times, Christians, that in the name of Christ, under the guise of proclaiming God's truth, words of Scripture have been used, much like Peter in the garden, flinging wildly in the flesh. Are the words the same? Absolutely. But the purpose and the intent has cut off and destroyed what God's having to come along and make whole and restore and heal. And so that can be a prayer of yours to say, God, as I enter this situation, as I'm with these people, as I'm working in this setting, as I'm in this family that you've divinely, sovereignly placed me to be, would you allow me to keep watching and praying such that I could wield the sword of the Spirit with your purpose and with your intent? A good prayer is to sit under God's word and not over it. Apply the scripture to you. Don't apply you to the scripture. That's easy for us sometimes, isn't it? It's called proof texting. I've got a preconceived idea. I want the Bible to support it. Let's find some verses. Let's search online. Let's get every word there. Let's get the right translation that all kind of points and builds to here. I, I invite you, church, ongoing. Don't let me do that. If you see me doing that, I'm going to do it periodically. Go to the scriptures. Research it. Say, is that really what it's talking about? That looked like that was building a case over here. That's not how we're to use God's word. Don't just interpret the Bible. Let it interpret you. Let God's word judge you instead of you standing in judgment of God's word. Now, these are big statements I'm making, and you have to come to a place, and it's a work of the Spirit, to come and put yourself under God's Word, but that's what we're talking about. All right, don't just use the word skillfully. Here's the second fill-in, ready? It's use it. Just use it. Speak forth the Word of God. We are to be speaking followers of the speaking God. Later on in the chapter here, uh, look at at verse... um, Look at verse 19, where Paul is saying, to, he's, he's asking for prayer requests. Here's what he says, that words may be given to me in opening my mouth boldly to proclaim the mystery of the gospel, that I may declare it boldly as I ought to speak. 
Now, it's a cop-out for us. I recognize there are different personalities here. But it is a cop-out for us to say, I'm not very outgoing, and so I just live my life and use the St. Francis of Assisi method of witness. You guys know what that is? Okay? Uh, It's preach the gospel at all times, if necessary, use words. Now, that's kind of cute. I like that. I think there's some truth to that. There's some good things to that. But many people have taken that and said, oh, I'm putting that in my back pocket. That's a really good one. What it's sometimes used for is this. I am scared of men's opinion over me, over God's opinion, so I'm going to preach the gospel at all times. Once in a great while, if anyone ever asks me about my faith, I'll open my mouth. That is not the picture that we see in Scripture. That's not why God's given us a voice. That's not why we've been told, go and make disciples. And if Paul is praying for boldness, do you think us in this room should be praying for boldness and for courage to speak forth God's word as we ought? Absolutely. Absolutely. Here's what's uh, interesting about this, is the only offensive weapon listed here is the word of God. And so that implies advance. We've been told many times here in this text, remember, stand, stand fast, stand Stand firm, therefore, that you don't know this. Now stand, right? That's the stance, is that we're ready for this. However, with the sword, we now have this, this, this ability to advance. The sword can be defensive, but obviously also offensive. The sword, as the word of God, brings light and judgment of evil when it's spoken. This can be preached from a pulpit like right now. It can be uh, proclaimed in a moment where just an opportunity presents itself and you feel the nudge of the Spirit, you go, wow, right here, I'm going to proclaim the gospel in this moment. I wasn't necessarily planning on it, but here it is. Here I go. Or it can be proclaimed right over a cup of coffee, one-on-one. But when the Word of God is proclaimed, it brings light to the situation. It also brings judgment of sin. That is uncomfortable. You've had conversations where someone's talking to you and in your spirit you're sensing but, but there's a passage right there that I know applies to this right here. And the Lord's given it to me to speak it to my friend, but I think it's going to hurt them. In fact, I don't think, I know. And it's going to put our relationship at risk. There's a question I ask myself right in that moment. Do I, do I fear God or fear man, first of all? And do I really love this brother? Do I really love this sister? Or do I love comfort? Do I love the feeling of being liked I want you to know, I like being liked by you people. I really do. But am I willing to say, no, my my God is not comfort. My God is not being liked. I love this person enough to to speak the word of truth to them and to speak speak it forth boldly. Think about a flashlight for a moment. If you think about light and darkness, always light wins out over darkness. Now, unless you have bad batteries or something, you turn a flashlight on in a pitch black room and it penetrates, right? That's just the nature of it. There's no such thing as a flash dark. We've talked about this before. So you can't turn on a device and have it somehow spew out darkness. That is an incredible picture, by the way, that preaches all around the world. We all get this. A little nightlight beaming out into a room can calm the fears of our children. And in the same way, it can show us where to go and what to avoid and, 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 the, and the right path to walk on. Now, take this idea of the fact that life, uh, light is penetrating and the Word of God goes forth and illuminates and penetrates the darkness. And then marry it to the sword. And you're already with me, some of you, 
you realize the perfect weapon. I mean, it's right there. That's really what we're talking about, okay? There is, there is a sense where we, we realize, wow, we, we, have, we have this thing with us, and it's not about taking this and slashing at people. But God has provided with us, literally, the perfect divine uh, weapon for our spiritual battle that we're in. I want to invite up a young couple that, um, that I've known for a while now. Ryan and Amanda, come on up. And uh, as I was putting this together and thinking through, um, the Lord just brought them to mind as someone that needs to be sharing uh, from, from, uh, from their experiences and from some of the things that, that, that are going on with them. Uh, in terms of thinking about the Word of God as, as, a, as a penetrating force, and their story is going to kind of blow your mind, I'm not even going to set it up. I'll just let them talk. So cool. go for it, guys. Uh, we, can you hear me? Okay. Uh, we, uh, we, God has, has led us to go to Zimbabwe. Um, Zimbabwe is a, a place where one in three are infected with HIV AIDS. Um, highest orphan rate per capita in the world. There's close to two million orphans. Um, 90, 85 to 90% unemployed. And, uh, average life expectancy is... 37 for men, 34 for women. Um, a lot of times when we share these statistics, we get people kind of asking us, do you really, do you really think something can change? And uh, while we think that's a good, honest question, we, we, we think that it's easy sometimes in our honesty to also border on unbelief. Because the gospel, as Dave has been sharing, is this full package uh, that is an offensive force, and, and we really believe that in, in going to Zimbabwe. Um, Romans 1.16, Paul says, I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to all who believe. And then he says, For in this gospel the righteousness of God is revealed from faith to faith. So it's a past work uh, focusing on the perfect life of Christ, and the fact that he substituted his life for us in our place. He conquered the penalty of sin so that we could have forgiveness. And then there's the future work, which is this future reality where we have an inheritance that's laid up for us that's unperishable, uh, won't spoil or fade away, reserved in heaven for us. And we see this in Jesus already. We already see Jesus in our tomorrow, so all the fears and anxieties that we live with, we we, the gospel calls us to believe in that reality. So there's the past and the present. We're supposed to order our life around that, but then there's the present work. And a lot of times, I think this is where we miss it, because Jesus right now is reigning, and ruling, and is enthroned, and He's given us everything we need. He's given us His Spirit. And so we move forward in that very power with this gospel. And uh, I'd just like to share a few areas where uh, Christ li- will, lives his life through us in terms of how this gospel applies in Zimbabwe. Um, one of the issues in Zimbabwe with the HIV-AIDS victims is they're second-class uh, people in the church. And if we really order our lives around Jesus accomplishing our salvation, then we don't really deserve any of this. So we, we're, our lives are ordered around being a forgiven people. 
And so the HIV AIDS people then get cared for and they're invited into the church um, because we realize we, we, don't, we don't really deserve anything and we've got everything in Jesus. Um, another way is, is, is the pastors uh, in Zimbabwe, some of them have multiple wives and if they don't, they, ha- they live in functional polygamy where they have multiple relationships. And obviously the gospel has a design for how marriage is supposed to work. So there's training that uh, we can bring there. Um, the orphans issue in Zimbabwe, God's adopted us. We're, we've all been adopted by God. And so we're, we need to go forth now and image that as well in a natural way and invite these, invite these orphans in. And the church can be a part of doing that in Zimbabwe. So these are some of the areas where there's great need for a deeper gospel understanding so that the church in Zimbabwe can move forward. And they've specifically come to our team and said, we know we need to respond to this HIV-AIDS pandemic, but we don't know how. And so our team is going to be moving in and helping them build uh, not only a deeper understanding of the gospel into their lives, but sustainable methods that are Zimbabwean and not American so that when we leave, the Zimbabwean church is able to move forward without us. Um, I'm going to be sharing a little bit more about what exactly we're doing and how we got drawn into this. Um, A lot of times people are um, ask us, when they ask us, what are you doing? They're looking for some very specific things, like, oh, are you going to start a school for kids? Or are you going to do some very specific things, which are all wonderful things? But we feel like when we've been thinking about the gospel in Zimbabwe, it's a much broader spiritual picture. Um, people's needs are not just physical. They are physical, but there's deeper spiritual, um, psychological, um, relational realities that we're really hoping to touch and address Um, So we're hoping on a very broad scale to be impacting a lot of different pastors and church leaders um, as they are leading people. Um, Instead of just starting a school or something like that, we have a much huger picture of what we hope to be a small part of in Zimbabwe. Um, And so our initiative is comprised of um, Zimbabwean leaders um, and also some missionaries who've come. And it's a really beautiful partnership that we're really excited to see exactly how we fit in. Um, We both... um, have had a really long journey um, in this process. We're, we're about to move. We hope to move this summer. Um, and I actually wanted to go to Africa since I was a little girl. Um, God just placed that in my heart and just kept nourishing it and bringing people across my path and just confirming that that was his call on me. Um, and Ryan had some really neat experiences over in South Africa and Mozambique um, that were very um, challenging and exciting and encouraging for him. And um, we went to Zimbabwe a couple years ago and had an amazing time. Um, it was a wonderful experience. We loved it. We were all ready to go back. And um, then we came back to the States, and we went through one of the darkest periods we've ever gone through in our life. Um, Ryan had to quit his job for a trip, and he was unemployed for a pretty long period of time. Um, we found out that moving to Zimbabwe would actually be a very long process and not like the quick little you know, we wanted to move back right away, and we, we realized it would be a very long process. And we just went through a very discouraging time of questioning and saying, is this what you want, Lord? Is this what you have for us? Um, questioning what we were doing. And the Lord kept throughout all of it calling us um, to this and calling us to himself in obedience and faithfulness to him. Um, and I really believe that. I really believe that the Lord asks us to be faithful and obedient to him in whatever situation we're in, and we are called to be obedient in that. The Lord's asked us to live in San Jose the last three years, 
Honestly, San Jose is not my favorite place on the planet. I'd much rather be living in Africa, uh, which is why partly why we're moving there. But um, <laughs> but the Lord asked us to live here. He asked us to be obedient. And the Lord has brought so many amazing things across our path. Um, a lot of work with international students we've been able to do, um, mentoring college students and having them in our lives and in our home, um, and just a thousand other things. And so... Um, I think it's just really essential for you to really be listening to what the Lord is asking you to do and recognizing that the gospel speaks to right here and now, how we live transformed now and not just looking ahead to a future or looking back at what God's done, but recognizing that the spirit, the sword of the spirit, everything is for right now in our lives. So thanks for letting us share. Let's give it up for them. The gates of hell are not going to prevail against the church in Zimbabwe. Isn't that powerful? Um, Amanda, we got to know Amanda. She was a junior hire in my wife's small group way back in the day. Do not discount when your junior hire says, I think God might be calling me to Africa. I remember that dialogue, and here it is being borne out. When she introduced me to this guy, Ryan, that she might be marrying, man, all her older brothers in Christ were like, who is this guy? We got him in a spiritual headlock and made sure he was the right guy for her. And it's just awesome. God God has put this couple together. They have a beautiful little daughter named Hope. And Amanda's pregnant with number two. And they're just trusting the Lord out into deep waters in Zimbabwe. Pray for them. They have some information at the back table. Um, I want you to know this couple has come to our GO team, our missions team, and we're just talking and praying through how does God want us to partner with this couple that we already love dearly, uh, some of us do, and, um, and, and see this go on. Quickly, let me say a few more thoughts. Speaking forth makes you a witness. When you use God's word, when you speak forth God's word, you become a witness. What does a witness do but just simply speak what they know, Right? A witness just shares what they know. We could learn a lesson from a blind man that Jesus healed one time, and he gets all this flack from people. Hey, we're the ones who disseminate God's power. We're the ones who say whether God did this or not. Who is this guy, Jesus? What were the circumstances? Where did he come from? What are his credentials? What does the blind man say? Look, I don't know about any of that. I used to not be able to see. Now I'm looking at you. That's what I know. That's really, really powerful. It also takes the burden off to say, look, I can't possibly share what I don't know. I can't. And so I'm just going to freely give as I freely receive. As God gives me things, I'm going to give it away. If he hasn't given it to me, I can't apply it to that situation. It takes a lot of pressure off. Speak about what God has done, speak about what God is doing, and speak about what God is going to do. That's a great way to just think about it. You know what you have going for you if you're a Christian? You have a relationship with God. You know why it's not hard for me to talk about my wife? Because I have a relationship with her. Someone comes, to, comes up to me and says, hey, how did the two of you meet? I go, oh, it's a great story. Let me tell you about it. Da, 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 da. I'll just share it all about it. Hey, what are you guys up to right now? What are you guys excited about? What are you guys struggling with? Oh, man, buy me a cup of coffee. Let's talk about it. And I'll just share and talk for days about that. I don't have to lesson plan. I don't have to think about it and go, let's see today. What are we? Ah, I don't really have anything to, say, to, to share. What are you guys doing tomorrow? What are you guys dreaming about? What are you guys thinking about? What's God calling you to? Man, let me share all about what God's doing in our family. You know why that's easy? I have a relationship with my wife. 
When you have a relationship with the Lord, it's exactly the same way. What has God done in your life? Man, you just share about that. If all of, if the totality of speaking forth God's word was about something that went on 20 years ago, your relationship's in trouble. You're not abiding in the vine. There ought to be things going on right now. There ought to be things that you can't wait to see how God's going to pan it out because you're making plans to go to Zimbabwe. You don't know how the story's going to end. You're out there on the ledge, and you're like, man, God's better come through because this whole life of faith thing is crazy. Let me tell you all about it. That's what speaking forth as a witness does. Not only are you a witness, but you're a conduit. This is powerful. Just listen to this. Using, God using our mouth to speak forth his words. That ought to blow your mind. That ought to just, every time that happens, I mean, you just drop to your knees and say, God, I'm humbled that you would use me to speak forth your words. My fallen mouth. Woe is me. I'm a man of unclean lips. And yet you take me and you use me as a conduit, as a tool. Listen to John 14, 26. But the Helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have said to you. If you never open your mouth, you are not experiencing the faith building power of having just the right moment called to your mind according to the need of the moment that is giving grace to that person. And you watch this unfold and say, there's no way I could have dreamt this up. I'm not that smart. I can't see into this person's life. I had no idea you were going through that and that God kind of nudged me to share this. It didn't make much sense. And this was the result of it. But when you speak forth God's word in faith, when you do it, you, you get to see these kinds of things go on. When Cassie first got home, uh, everyone wondered if she spoke Mandarin, and um, she was two, and so she wouldn't have spoken a whole lot anyways, and she didn't have a lot of interactions, so she wasn't speaking much at all. But when she got home, she began immediately to be uh, in speech therapy and being trained in how to, to form certain sounds, and it was actually kind of fascinating to sit and listen, she's still going to it to hear how sounds that start here and then t- 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 come form and use different muscles and these different things. And she was working it out. And it was just kind of fascinating to watch her learn to speak the English language. And, of course, she's bathed in it all day long. We don't use a lot of Mandarin uh, around the Carlson home. Um, but, uh, but, but here's what's interesting is that it's been a, it's been a process, right? It's just to, to watch this. What's really amazing is to watch people who become Christ followers, they yield their life, and their speech begins to change. You just notice it. It starts being seasoned with God's word. They're not trying to be religious. They're not trying to throw out little phrases. You just go, wow, those are things that are just seasoned with God's word. You're speaking forth God's truth where you walk into different situations. 1 John 2.27 says this, But you have received the Holy Spirit, and he lives within you, so you don't need anyone to teach you what is true. For the Spirit teaches you everything you need to know, and what he teaches is true. It is not a lie. So just as he has taught you, remain in fellowship with Christ. Let the Holy Spirit be your teacher. Let the Holy Spirit begin to form muscles in you that didn't exist before and t- 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 pronounce things that you had no idea how to say before. And as you walk into situations, as you walk through your life, you're just constantly asking the teacher, all right, Lord, tell me here, what do you want me to say or do you want me to say? And you just get to be taught. Speech seasoned with the Bible and praying at all times in the Spirit go hand in hand. And I want to invite up my friend Brad 
uh, Walker right now. And uh, Brad is a guy that um, I was put in contact with by someone here in this church. And I've shared with you some of the story. Brad uh, stores some of his stuff for a ministry God's put on his heart to do out in our back property. And uh, the way that we met is a perfect example of just praying at all times in the Spirit. I got a phone call, uh, a phone number from, from a friend here at church. Um, I was about to call this guy up. I just said, Lord, make this crystal clear. If you want this to move forward, shouldn't be that hard. We've got space. He's got stuff that needs to be stored. If this is kingdom work, make it happen. And in a fairly short phone call, it was just neat the way God knit our hearts together. I don't know that apart from Christ, Brad and I would hang out and have a ton in common. I don't know how I would have gotten to know him. Uh, but what's but what's... <laughs> Come on up here, Brad. You're, 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 you're too far away from me. Um, but, but in a very short period of time, it, this, is the, this is the picture of God taking and forming this family and just bringing people from all these different components. And I want to I have Brad share, again, I don't want to set it up too much. I just want to have Brad share as someone who came to my mind when I thought about what does it look like to pray at all times in the Spirit and to speak forth the Word of God and to withhold when, it, when it's not needed. So, uh, Brad, share some thoughts with us. First of all, thank you for uh, meet this morning. Uh, for a carnivore that loves to ravish the word, mm. I, I, thanks for that. Mm. I, you know, little quips and little stories I don't care much about, <laughs> but truth is what we need to be seekers after, mm. um, and uh, just lots of truth. And mm. I was checking for proof texting, mm. straight on, brother. Loved every <laughs> minute of it. Um, and that is our a requirement. We need to mm. proof check for mm. proof texting because in the end times, they will heap up for themselves teachers for the sole purpose of ear tickling don't get caught by an ear tickler in the end times because it will take you completely off course so awesome thanks and he said i have like three to five minutes i don't even know how to do that so i'm going to apologize in advance i'm going to try to go really fast i love ephesians i i read it again a couple of times this week i was reading it through this morning and just it was like going back to an old family uh camp somewhere and just resting and listening to the wind that I had become familiar with and watching the view of the lake that just brings me peace and solace. Paul wrote an amazing work there, Swallow It Whole. I noticed you used a word this morning that I don't get to use very often from the front of a congregation. You said barf, so that means I get some. I can say some things that you can accept. <laughs> Evidently, you're used to that. Um, I want to tell you something before I even start. One of the things I really hate, and there aren't many people, you know, it's supposed to be a message of love and everything else. We need to keep our speech. One of the things I hate are those keychains and bracelets that say WWJD. Y'all seen those? You know what that stands for? What would Jesus do? You were telling a story about your wife, how you have lots to talk about. You always have something to share because you have a relationship with your wife. What kind of person wears a sign on their wrist that says, what would Jesus do? That means you don't know Jesus very well. You're basically professing to the public, I don't know Jesus very well. I wonder what he would do. Can you tell me? We need to get bracelets that say, DWJD, do what Jesus did. And stop asking. It's an open book test every day. Every day, in fact, Ephesians 6, verses 10, we battle not with flesh and blood, but with powers and principalities of the darkness and of the air. And in the evil day, does anybody know when the evil day is? 
right now. In the evil day, we will face this. We will face this enemy. What would Jesus do? While the war rages around us, people have signs that say, I don't know what Jesus would do. I'm not sure what Jesus would do. And that's why I'm pushed by every doctrine. I'm blown by every wind. And I don't have the anchor of hope that I need. So what Paul is writing in Ephesians is to know this word. In Ephesians 6, 10 and following, it talks about 12, I think, and following through, I like how you have 17b through 20, right up through 16, 17a, it says, take up this armor, the belt of truth, shod your feet with the gospel of peace, put on the Righteousness, the breastplate of righteousness, and take up the shield of faith. If you look at the scripture very closely there, and, I, and I've become a student of definition, I don't want to know some of the truth. I want to know all the truth because I don't want to make mistakes. Because the day of evil is now, and he's throwing barbed, fiery balls of hell and damnation, the scripture says, 17. So, interestingly enough, in that, definitionally, the word take up means as though the armor is placed out in front of you. By the way, before you go out into battle, pick up some truth, get that peace down, faith shields are over here, and walk in righteousness. Interesting. Two things he didn't offer to take up, he actually placed on us. One is the helmet of salvation. He gives that to you. And places it on you to protect your mind, to shield the gift of salvation that he's given you. In case you walk out here without a shield or without all these other things, please just cover your head in Jesus' name. It's placed there, and he actually places in your hand the word, the sword, the truth. John 1.1 1, 1 says... In the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was God. It goes on in verse 4. And he is the life, in him is life, and in his life is the light of the world, and the light shines into darkness, and it cannot comprehend it. And yet it must be shown. My tent making, I am, an, I am a minister, I am an evangelist, as you would say. Thank you so much for sharing your space back here. I've got piles and trailers full of equipment that I move all the time. I'm in and out of here all the time, very quietly. Don't want to be a problem for you. <laughs> all the time, going into prison, going into other cities, going into juvenile halls, bringing the message of Jesus Christ Amen. without compromise. Amen. Trust me. <laughs> But my tent making, as Paul said, I'm a dentist by trade. I have an office right here in town. Personally, I love San Jose. I'm happy to be here. (laughs) And you know, we'll be happy to send you on your way. In Jesus' name. I am a trained... uh, One of the things I love about dentistry is I have a degree that is a surgical degree. A degree in surgery. Or oral surgery, orthognathic surgery, periodontal surgery, all those scary things that people don't want to have. I 
trained to do all those things. I, I get to help people do what they can't do for themselves and shouldn't try. <clears throat> that just is a frightening thought all the way around. But the interesting thing about a surgical degree is that it brings about a change right now. Most medicine is, well, you haven't been feeling well. Let's try this, Dave. Let's try this, Karen. Uh, We'll write you a script and come back in three weeks, and maybe you'll be better. If you walk to your surgeon and he says, well, I'm just going to cut out your spleen and let's see how it goes. (laughs) You'd look at him with a totally different look than you would your physician that says, well, let's try this, Dave. Let's see how it goes. (laughs) A surgeon has a different requirement and is expected to do different things. As a surgeon, I take this very seriously. The sword is in my hand. The word is the sword. If I don't know which end of the scalpel to hold, I will slice myself first and offer you no healing. Does that make sense? It says in that word, it's the, it's the most powerful two-edged sword. And in fact, we have the power in our speech. There's power of life and death in our speech. So I completely agree, Pastor. You better know how to use the sword if you're going to speak it over somebody. Because you might pull back and cut your own head off. And God forbid you ever cut somebody else's off that wasn't your calling to do if you don't have the surgical stills to do so. So the key here is know the sword. It's been placed in your hand. It is the only offensive tool. The interesting thing is within that armor, there's no rear protection. There's nothing. So the beauty of a fellowship and a family is we can all stand sort of back to back against the enemy You got my back? You got my back? (laughs) And these folks that are going out on the tip of the sword, verse 18 says, and once all this is in line, once this is all done, stand, which is an offensive purpose of strength. You're not laying down. You're not sick. You're not in a sick bed. You're standing prepared and pray for the brethren. They need it. And you may be next. Don't ask, what would Jesus do? Just find out and apply it wherever you can. God bless you. Thanks, Brad. Thanks, Brad. It's one thing to hear, um, I think, a testimony about some, some couple that's passionate, excited about going off to Zimbabwe, isn't it? And say, well, good for them. Good for those young people to go take the word of God out, out to the far reaches. It's another thing to think about a dentist who's got an office in town and, um, and the Lord's raised up this ministry where he just is, is speaking forth God's word and drawing others with him to be doing that. And to be in ministry partnership with Brad is just awesome. We, we've just really enjoyed the few times that we've taken uh, over a meal to just hear no way kinds of stories. And it's awesome. Listen, because of the fact that we're talking about Africa and all of that, we're having a little bit more of an African service right now where we're not, uh, we're not Silicon Valley bound by time. Um, so don't worry. 
we, won't, we won't take that so far, because otherwise we'd be here till about five, eat a meal, and we'd keep going. Which I'd be okay with, but some people get uptight. Um, I, I have to share one more story, because um, it's pertinent uh, and, and urgent time-wise, and, and I want to share this before the band comes up and closes us off in song. The second part of this is the idea of, of keep watching and praying. And in this prayer request, what you'll not find in Paul's prayer is for comfort, is for justice. Hey, I'm in jail. I'm in jail, falsely accused. He's not praying for justice, for comfort, for safety. His prayer requests all center on kingdom things. I'm humbled by that, I'm challenged by that, and I'm growing up in that. What are our prayer requests? How, what do we ask for, for prayer from? Does it, does it kind of reveal a here and now lifestyle that this is what's really important or does it touch on this this spiritual battle that we face um watch and pray implies a few things it implies that you're paying attention implies that you're awake if you're watching you're not asleep in the garden like the disciples it removes prayer from religious activity category where i better get some prayer in i better get some bible reading in no it takes it completely out of that realm and it expects a response. I have to just share this quick story. Uh, we got word, I haven't shared a ton about this, but um, we got word that our court date for um, Ethiopia is June 20th. So we will be before a judge. Um, and, uh, and that has set in motion for us all kinds of crazy things. We leave two weeks from yesterday um, to go over there and do all the paperwork and court documents for two children that we're adopting. Um, one of the prayers that we had was this. We just prayed and said, Lord, we're about to pull the trigger on a lot of money for airline tickets. If this is a dumb idea or if you want a different flight, let us know. And that, that went from spending money to who we're going to sit next to. We made that in prayer. We just made a decision. We prayed. We walked with confidence forward. We also prayed about where to stay. There are uh, Western-style sort of hotels uh, in the capital city of Ethiopia. We said, we don't want to do that. We want to stay in what's called a guest home, which most adoptive families do. You get a little bit of the culture and this and that. We're just praying about which one to go to. And we're just researching them and looking at them, all that. Well, as part of the prayer, um, Becky put word out to her sister who knew someone in Ethiopia. I mean, this is the way the Lord works. Keep watching and praying, right? We're praying. Now we're paying attention. We're expecting a, a response here. Because the Lord responds. So we're praying, and um, it's nighttime right now, and it'll be daytime when, when it's our nighttime, so it's always inverted. So Becky began this email conversation with this girl, Beth, a woman, Beth, that we've never met before. But she said, hey, I've got this one contact that I know has some ties to San Jose. Let me just ping them and see if there's some way that we could possibly get some lodging. Uh, the next morning, we woke up to an email that said, um, you'll never believe it, I asked them if they happened to know, by chance, Dave and Becky Carlson, and she said, oh, we were in the delivery room when, when they, one of their kids was being born. Well, that immediately notified us, that's Laura Niblack, with not, not her married name, and she was in our, uh, when, when Tegan was born, she popped in, and we were having everyone guess the uh, time and wait and all that, so she chimed in with that. They're, they were living, uh, they're, they're leaving actually yesterday, their house will be vacant in the time that we're there. And I mean really vacant, four walls and a, and a floor. And all of a sudden, the Lord just opened up this thing. And we've been holding off on which guest house to stay in. Uh, and, and here the Lord opens up um, just this neat connection. And we get to, to be a part of it. And that's just the idea of keep watching and praying. Make your plans. 
uh, but, but submit them to the Lord and pay attention to what's going on. I want to invite the band up, and in closing, I want to just mention to soldiers of God a few things. One is this. Soldiers of God possess a restful obedience as they are in constant contact with the commander. Here's what I know about Christians that know Jesus. They're not rushing around trying to do every last thing. Just in the same way that my hand isn't just like trying to accomplish things on its own. My hand is in constant contact with my head, right? So there's a restful obedience. So if, if, if I'm just relaxed and I'm sitting here and my, my part in the body is a hand, I'm just restful right now because the hand hasn't called on me for something. But if the hand were to say, grip the phone and pull it out and begin to do these things, then you jump into action. You don't ask why, you don't question, you just learn to hear the voice and you respond. So what's great about a soldier of God is this, we, we're just, we're, we're restfully obeying. We know we're called to, to, to speak forth God's word. He's given us a voice to, to um, do that. I've asked Brad before, Brad, what's on the docket? What's coming? He goes, right now, we're making preps. We know something, but there's nothing happening right now. Other seasons where it's been, man, we've got a lot going on. I've got all these you know, things in the fire. I'm not sure which ones are going to pan out, how the Lord's going to work. You can be praying about this right here. And that's, and that's, that's the uh, picture. It's not going out and mustering up business for God. Soldiers of God can speak and advance or stand in silence. You know there's a great picture of that? Jesus. There are times when Jesus is being accused and talked about, and you know what he does? He just stands there. I'd love to see the look on his face. He's just standing there. And he's got all authority. He's just standing there. Other times, he responded, and he spoke up. And there are times when you're sharing, when you're with someone, and and you're you're just to stand quiet. And there are other times when you're supposed to speak forth boldly. Learn to discern those two. Two more. Soldiers of God wield untold power. Wasn't it the word of God that raised dead people? Isn't it the word of God that spoke into being all that we see and marvel at? It's the word of God that we have. Soldiers of God realize this and, and deal with it appropriately. Finally, soldiers of God count prayer and God's word as indispensable necessities for the journey. And we are grateful to participate rather than finding this dull or ritualistic. And I have tried to read God's word from the age of 7 to the age of 17, and it was dull and ritualistic because it was being done in the flesh. I didn't understand it. I didn't desire it. I prayed, especially on test day, but I didn't pray the same way as once God ignited a, a, a fire in my life. And now you say, man, I, why would I not want to pray? Why would I not want to be in God's word? I want to close with a benediction right from our passage, and then we're going to close uh, in song with Use Me Here and sing it together. But the benediction is this. Um, just bow your heads and close your eyes and let this wash over you. Ephesians 3.20. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think, according to the power at work within us. To him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations, forever and ever. Amen.